this morning I want to, where I'm really going, is I want to share on four major points um, that we'll take away from here, uh, making them the subject of our prayers uh, for the next one week and a time of praying. But in order to get to the point where one can be, um, give what you call uh, um, actionable or, or instructional steps there, uh, it's important, and that's what Paul always did in his letters, it's important to first of all establish the theology upon which you are giving the instructions. In other words, what is the concept that is behind it before we say this is what we will practice. So if you read the letters of Paul, the first three chapters, for example, in the book of Ephesians, all right, are letters that deal with the theology of that particular letter there, which means the concept. And then he will go into the last three and say, I haven't said this, husbands behave this way, servants behave this way, wives behave this way, masters behave this way, fathers behave this way, and he begins to give the instruction. But first of all, he establishes uh, the theological foundation for it. The reason why this is important, and sometimes some ministers don't do that because they just want to go straight and, you know, you just teach instructions. And sometimes you will say, oh, you know, it was, just, it was very clear, very instructional. But the problem, and that's part of the reason why we have some problems now, is that when people just take instructions without understanding the theology that is behind it, then they begin to practice those things. If they run into any form of difficulty, they cannot navigate themselves, themselves out of the situation. They won't understand, all right, because the entire concept is not known to them. So they don't know what to do. It just, it's just, well, I was told to do this, I did that, and it didn't work. And the truth about it, about spiritual things, is this. You don't learn truth, all right, from what people teach you. You actually come to know the truth as you apply what you are taught. And it's as you apply it and come into certain areas that you now have the opportunity now to come to know God your own self and come into the knowledge of truth. Uh, that's why Jesus said to them that believed on him, he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And then he said, something will happen. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So as you begin to apply the things you are taught, you come to a point where you now get into the area of personal search and discovery. And this comes as a result of things not shaping out the way you originally or first thought when you heard, all right, that particular word. But then as you begin to practice it, you come to that. And that's what Paul said to some people, that they were ever learning but never came into the knowledge of the truth. In other words, they will sit down and hear the teaching, but they didn't stay with it and practice it through what you call the difficult places so that they will come to experience that truth. So it's always important, right, that you lay the foundation for it so that people understand, all right, what is behind it. So when they start applying, then they can recalibrate certain things. They can understand, well, this goes here, this goes here. If I try it this way, all right, and I add more time here, and I switch this, right, and then they are able to do that by themselves, and then they get results. And when they get the results and tell the testimony, even to the person who taught them the thing, the person who reads it learns himself, 
all right, and gains more skill from what or the testimony of those people because it's a personal journey, it's personal discovery, and it's truth, and it will bless, right, people. And so it's important. Many people are just echoes of what they read, all right, but if you are going to have an impact, then you have to speak out of the truth that you have experienced while you walked with the principle, not just echoing. Many people just echo that and say what they learned from books to appear right, but it is not processed and it's not, all right, coming from a place of personal discovery as they got into difficult places and pressed into God and heard what the Spirit of God had to say, right, and brought that particular thing out. Now, the thing for the rest of the year we've said is um, finishing 2019 strong and uh, starting 2020 big. Finishing 2019 strong, all right, in order to start 2020 big. And so when we talk about finishing strong, all right, uh, Paul spoke about finishing strong. Uh, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is about finishing 2019 with joy there, right? And that's what reveals the strength of God, finishing it with joy, finishing it with the strength of God, and starting 2020, right, on a, a big note. And when we finish that with strength, then we put ourselves in the right position. And so finishing with strength, we've said, is finishing with joy. Acts 20 and verse 24 Paul speaking said that I might finish my course with joy. He said, none of these things move me, neither count I my life there unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy. So it's finishing it with joy, for the joy of the Lord itself is our strength. Now there's a concept in the scripture I want to bring out, because God showed me something, a quickened a word to me from this. Now, in the nation of Israel, they had three major feasts. And these feasts were types and shadows of what happens today with us. Now, every year, they were to participate in those three feasts. It's like having three major conferences. Everybody left their jobs and went to Jerusalem to participate in these three feasts. The first was called the Feast of the Passover. And it was celebrated, all right, in honor of what happened when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, where a lamb was slain for every single house, and the blood from that lamb was applied upon their doorpost, and the angel of death passed over. And so what happened is, in the New Testament, on the very day that the Passover was sacrificed, right, when Moses was leading them out of Egypt, on that very day was the same day Jesus was crucified. In other words, even the gathering of the Pharisees and their schemings and their planning and the final days they decided we are going to get Jesus fell on the exact date, which means was a perfect prophetic picture of what happened. It was on that date, so it was orchestrated by God. So you have the Passover, and they used to celebrate it on that day during that week. Then the second feast they had was called, in Exodus 23, verse 16, it was called the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost, all right, the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of your labors, all right, and these, right, 
was what we call, it was done on the day of the Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover, and what happened as a type for us was that on that very day of Pentecost there was when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, all right, which meant it was on that day. And that's why we call it a Pentecostal movement. And that movement means it emphasizes the infilling of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But there was a third feast that was there. And this feast, all right, it says, which thou hast sown in thy field. And then the feast of Ingadbin, which is in the end of the year. And this feast was at the end of the year. It was the feast of harvest, or what is called the feast of Ingadbin, when thou hast gathered in all thy labors from all thy fields. So it was the time of final harvest. It was the time of Ingadbin, which held, the scripture says here, at the end of the year. So it was a feast that held at the end of the year called the Feast of Ingathering. So it was a feast where things were gathered in and it was the time of great harvest there. Now, God quickened that particular scripture in my spirit and when something is quickened, what he's saying is that uh, this particular scripture will be applicable in this particular season but it doesn't mean that you can just transfer it to every single year. And he quickened that and said, it is at the end of the year. And he said, listen, this is what I want to do, all right, towards the end of this year in this church here, which is called the Feast of the Ingathering, which is at the end of the year. You know, there is what is called the quickened word. Uh, when a person, and that's what you call to prophesy, when a person prophesies and declares and it has an impact, is coming as a result of a word that is not just committed to memory, but something that was quickened by the Spirit recently unto you, which means something that he opened your eyes or ears in recent time to hear or to see, and then you declare that particular thing. That is when your declarations have an impact. If you're just declaring things committed to memory that you learned, let's say, five years ago or ten years ago, all right, or, or one year ago, and you just declare it, it's not the quickened word. So it will not carry as much impact and as much power. That's why when people face a situation, they tell you, don't just, you know, go by what, you know, you have memorized. Go to God, let him quicken something to you, because when you speak, all right, from something that was recently quickened in your heart, then you are speaking words of life that will have an impact. So it's a word that was quickened, all right, to me, in terms of the feast of the end gathering. And he says, this is what I want to do, all right, at the end of this year, to gather things in. Now, this was the feast that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 7 and verse 37, when he said, in the day of that great feast, he said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So the Pentecost was an infilling, the feast, all right, of the ingathering, or it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, was an outpouring of the Spirit from within. Which means the Pentecost was getting filled with the Spirit. The, uh, the, the Feast of Ingathering or Tabernacles there was an outpouring from within you, all right, rivers of living water 
being poured forth. And this feast is characterized by a spirit of joy and strong praise to God, which means it's a season where people went in to God and they gave themselves over to rejoicing, gave themselves over to the spirit of praise, and it's by that the in-gathering actually came in. Second Chronicles 20 from verse 22, we see something here about Jehoshaphat. They were going through a battle, and the Bible says, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushment against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. And it tells us in verse 23, and for the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mansa to utterly slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And verse 24, and when Judah came to the watchtower, now note that watchtower in the wilderness, they looked onto the multitude and behold, there were many dead bodies falling to the earth. And verse 25, it tells us, and when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were there three days in gathering of the spoil, for it was so much. So when you have that feast of in-gathering, you have a manifestation there that is beyond your expectation, which is a strong visitation of God that produces, right, that abundance there. It's that feast of in-gathering. It was the last feast, and it's something that is characterized by that kind of strong praise that people give unto God. Now, what they did was the Passover was the first feast. Now, the second feast was actually called the Pentecost, and what they did was that the first fruits of their labor, so it was a product of their own labor that they brought in the Pentecost. But when it came to the Feast of the Ingathering, right, this one came as a result of divine presence, which means that it was God himself that gathered this in. And this is where the church, the church has experienced the Passover, uh, people get born again, we've gotten to Pentecost, people are filled with the Holy Ghost, but the yearning of the church is to enter into the knowledge of this particular feast so that they can experience abundantly, exceedingly above, as the scripture says, what they have asked or what they have thought. And when the church enters into this, and, and begins to bring in things beyond their imagination and expectation, then they will experience the love of God on the inside. Then they will say, as it said in the book of Revelation, at long last, this is the Lord, we have waited for him, and he has shown up. It is this feast that is called the feast, all right, of ingathering, characterized here by the spirit of joy, sacrifice of joy, high praise being given unto God, and worship. That is, it is manifested, this in-gathering, not by talent, all right, or even by labor, but simply by the presence of God in the lives of the people, which means it happened by the presence of God. So what Jehoshaphat brought in was by divine presence. That is, God was there, in his glory, working things out. That is, you look at it, and you know this is beyond my intellect, this is beyond my own personal labor, 
this has come as a result of the finger of God, that this is the presence of God. And it's this feast where even the world that labors with us can get to the place of the Pentecost and say, we can match you people here because it's labor that has produced it. But then you step into the feast of ingathering and they say the Lord has done mighty things for them whereof they are glad. That is the quantum leap happens. It is an experience there. People begin to experience unusual or right things within their life. And it has come because God has inhabited the praises of his people. An example is in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 11. And this is what happened, divine presence. The Bible tells us that the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obedadom, all right, the Gittites, and for three months, and the Lord blessed him and all of his household. Now, why did the Lord bless him? Verse 12, the scripture tells us, and it was told King David, saying, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obedadom and all that pertaineth to him simply because the ark of God was in his house, which means it was the presence of God that compelled all right, all of those things. And so it is people that now come to honor the presence of God. They come to realize that the name of the Lord, all right, when it is honored, that yes, we have labored, all right, yes, we have kept the Passover, that is, our hearts are free of malice and guile, and we have labored in our fields, but now we are stepping into, all right, the manifestation here of divine presence. That this is just that God showed up on the scene in the life of a person. This is the presence of God that simply compels, all right, this to happen. You can't trace it to your intellectual power. You can't trace it to anything natural, all right, that you have. Is just that God showed up, right? A divine distinction. But you understand that the principle behind this is you get to a point where you are spending time in the presence of God, worshiping, praising Him, all right, uh, staying there in His presence there, and that's producing uh, what is called uh, the, the glory of God within your life. So it begins to produce things. And that was the third feast that they had. And so God is saying in this last three months here, he, he's calling us as a church and a people to enter into this, uh, to, to spend considerable amount of time using the worship of God and the praise of God as a strategy now, which means the spirit of joy and the garment of praise as a strategy now in life spending considerable amount of time there knowing from the scriptures that this is going to bring a strong ingathering into our life simply because God showed up on the scene, which means God was simply there. We have gone beyond the place where we're even praising him for things, all right, but we are just there worshiping him and praising him. We are, we are in his presence there, spending time doing that, and, and it brings about uh, a great manifestation of, of, of the power of God, and, and, and that presence compels certain things to happen. I mean, Abedinam just had the ark in his house, and the scripture says things just began to happen. And David heard about that, 
and said, go and get, all right, that act. In other words, you get to a point where, you know, you ask, so what did you read, all right, to be able to do this? You say, well, I read a lot, and I spent time laboring. What did you do? It says, listen, this is beyond what I read. This is beyond what I knew. This is beyond my talent. This is beyond all of that now. Now, I had to do all of that as the basis there, all right, but God multiplied it all just because he showed up in my life here and showed up in what is called, what is called his Shekinah. I'll explain what this is, glory. All right, when the Bible says the glory has departed, it doesn't mean God departed. God says, I can never depart, leave nor forsake. But there is something that is called, uh, the scripture calls the Shekinah glory, which I'll shortly explain. So it's about staying in the presence of God. It's about using praise now as a strategy, all right, for something massive to happen. It's about just waiting upon God and worshiping him. Uh, and, and keeping that feast there of in-gathering there, which is, okay, the Feast of Tabernacles, where there's a great surge of the Spirit of God uh, in the lives of God's people. Isaiah 60, verse 9, right, says this. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 9. It says, Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from far, Silver and gold with them unto the name of the Lord and the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. Then verse 10, it says, And sons of strangers shall build your walls. Which means people you didn't know. Kings, people in authority shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor I had mercy on thee. Then verse 11, it says, Therefore thy gates shall be opened continually. Which means it says there is something called the gates into your life. It will be open continually, and they shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and their kings may be brought. So it says, thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring the forces of Gentiles to thee. What are your gates that must be opened continually? which means the scripture regards it as the gates into your life. If it's short, then nobody assigned to you can come in, all right? Nobody that God wills can come in because you have closed your gate. It's just like somebody coming to your house with a mail, all right, to deliver a parcel, and your house is short. They can't get in because the gates are short. So it says, open your gates continually, and they must not be short day or night, that men may be able to bring these things in. What are your gates? Verse 18, it tells us, And violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy world salvation and thy gates praise. So it's talking about continuous praise day and night. That's why in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. It says, we have no continuing city here. We are seeking one to call. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. It says, the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. So God wants us to get into that place there, right, where we are worshiping him, all right, where we are praising him and doing that. And what will hold people from stepping into this is that 
they, they judge God by, by, by what is going on in their life at that particular point in time. And, and without you stepping into this realm, uh, there will be a discrepancy between, all right, even your input into God, all right, and things that you are seeing on the outside. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818 600 0082. God bless you.